Have you ever wished you could do more for God? I mean, I mean, just like, like you could, you just wish that, that you had more time to serve Him. You wish you had more money to be able to give and, and more, more talents to be able to use in His service. You ever, you ever wish that, uh, desired to, to do more, uh, out of your devotion to Him? Uh, just a quick perusal of some of the writings of Christian literature. You're not alone if you've ever felt this way. And I hope you felt this way. Uh, I hope you feel this way a lot, actually, um, because it's a, it's a good sign. It's a sign of God working in your life. I think of Brother Lawrence. Brother Ro- Lawrence wrote this little book, maybe about this big and about that thick. So it's a, it's a quick read, but it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. The book is almost as long as the title. But it is just, it's phenomenal. He writes about how he wishes to be in God's presence so much. He's a cook in a monastery kitchen. And um, Brother Lawrence is so in the presence of God as a consistent, continual thing that those who worked with him in the kitchen knew that he was in God's presence because of his joyful disposition Constantly. Now, now those of you who, whether you've been in the kitchen at home or whether you've been there at work, you know the kitchen is not always a stress-free place. And yet in this one monk, um, you're finding God's presence so felt. And he even says that he wishes he could be in God's presence more. He even says that, that anytime he finds himself not in God's presence, he repents and wishes that God would draw him back into his presence once again. I, I read the writings of Richard Roll. Richard Roll uh, wrote about this idea of this warming of his heart, the light of God's fire being so bright, so blazing, so hot, that his heart as he would draw near would get warmer and warmer, hotter and hotter. And what he found was that the external things, the things of the world, the things that he had to deal with on a regular basis would make him cold to where sometimes he wished he could just throw it all away only to rewarm his heart at the fire of God's love. I, I, I read the writings of John Calvin. And Calvin is known as a theologian, but he he was also quite devotional toward God. And one of the things he writes about is how, as Christians, we have to practice this practice of self-denial, a self-denial that excludes pride, excludes our haughtiness, excludes uh, uh, any any lust or passions or desires that would draw us away from God. We have to we have to deny ourselves to such a great extent that the only thing we find ourselves yearning for, the only thing we find ourselves striving for, is the glory of God and the things of His heaven. We often find ourselves as kindred brothers and sisters along with Brother Lawrence and along with Richard Roll and along with John Calvin and many others who, who have found a longing in their, their, the depths of their souls to do more for God, to give more, to be more, to speak more, to follow Him more closely. And I hope that is a driving passion of yours. Tonight we're going to read the story of the widow giving her offering. 
And I can't say for sure that the widow is driven by a passion that she wishes she could do more for God. I I can't say that. Scripture doesn't say that. What I can say, though, is that we can follow her example coupled with that passion. And I think we'll find the God that we find is worth finding. Luke chapter 21 shows us one way in which we make that that longing for God evident, and, and it's in our giving. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Father, I pray that we would long for you so much so that we would give everything for you. In Christ's name. Amen. We're, we're, we're still in the final week, as I said. We're, we're somewhere in that final week. We don't know exactly what day it is. Maybe it's Tuesday. Maybe it's Wednesday of that week. Um, but we're still in that last week and still learning from Jesus in the temple and in between accusing the scribes of being terrible and, and warning us to beware of the scribes and, and in between, um, the other things that he teaches before, uh, he is, he is, uh, before his last supper and that night um, that there he's going to experience with his disciples that, that where he's going to really boil it all down into the most crucial core things for them. In between those things, we find Jesus sitting, looking at the offering boxes. There were 13 of these boxes around the temple. They had these horn shapes along the top. And you ever see those um you ever see those things for children's hospital or for for make a wish foundation or stuff like that, but where you drop the coin in and it goes all the way around and it keeps going around and around and around. It takes a couple of minutes for it to drop. And you know the kid likes to put the coin in and watch it as they go around and around. It it kind of has that kind of shape to it. And Jesus is watching in the treasury and as he's watching the rich are putting their gifts into this box. And in the process, along comes this widow. Mark gives us a little more detail. Mark tells us in Mark 12, starting in verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. So as they're watching, Jesus sees a good number of the rich putting in great amounts of money. It's something that was commanded. Everybody had to pay a little bit into the temple. Uh, but some people, they didn't just give a little bit. They gave a lot. And um, oftentimes they wanted to showcase their goodness by giving a lot. Not, not much has changed lately, has it? We still have many rich people today that will broadcast. Companies will broadcast their giving so that everybody knows that they are giving to worthy causes. Yeah, not much has changed. In Judea during the Roman period, though, uh, uh, this is something that has changed. There wasn't a middle class in that day. We today have a middle class. They didn't have a middle class. What they had is the very, very rich and the very, very poor. And there wasn't much in between. You were either really well off or not well off at all. And so you have these these two different ends of the spectrum. Uh, you can almost see these these rich people coming up with bags full of coins, 
ready to give. And man, they're not shy about it at all. One, one, might, one might walk up and say, a thousand shekels to the temple. Drops it in there. Another one, not to be outdone, comes right behind him. Two thousand shekels for the work of Adonai. And throws it in. Other people are looking to give their gifts and make sure that folks are seeing them. Make sure that there's a large crowd that witnesses their giving. Make sure that the priests witness their giving. Because, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that those guys know that you're giving so you can get those special favors with God. <laughs> I, I can almost see a little guy, 15 year old Levite running up to get some money out of there in order to put it away back in the safe because there's getting to be too much money out front. The Roman soldiers see this. Oh man, they're, you know, so we got to keep it down low, you know. You can't let it be too much because you run the risk there. Then this poor little widow, I, I assume she's little. Bible doesn't tell us she's little, but I assume poor widow, she, she's little. I also assume she's probably pretty old too. Then she comes up. The reason I think she's old is that the text seems to imply that there's no way she could go get a job. It's not like places are hiring all over. I mean, I told you, there's either you're either really rich or really poor. There's not much in between. And so this woman doesn't have much prospect. Her husband has died. And whether she's whether he didn't have any, whether they were poor to begin with, and so there was nothing left for her to live on or whether she's used up all the savings and now she's at the bottom of the barrel. Abject poverty. The amount of money that she puts in, two small copper coins, the Greek word lepton uh, is for this coin. Each coin would be worth a little bit more than five and a half minutes of work for a day laborer. So 11, almost 12 minutes of work is what those two coins are worth. And day laborers, they, they didn't make anything. They were on the really poor end. Look at what Jesus says. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Now, I don't know this for sure. Maybe when I get to heaven I'll ask them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jesus can count. Okay? I mean, he's, he's, he's the creator of the universe. He's, he's God in flesh. He is the savior of all of the church. I, I, I'm pretty sure he can count, right? Jesus probably knows that those two little coins are not worth anything close to what anybody else has put in there. How can he say that she has given more than anyone else? More than everyone else? Verse four. For they all contributed out of their abundance. <laughs> it's easy to give a lot when you got a lot, right? But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Everyone else gave because they had plenty to give. They, they had enough to spare. They didn't, they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from. That's why they were giving so much. It didn't really hurt them. Yeah, I can give a thousand shekels. I got tons of shekels. I got more shekels. I got so many shekels, I'm tired of having shekels. I don't need them. Sure, I'll give, I'll give a bunch. And maybe along the way, I'll buy some favors too. Maybe I'll get some priests on my side. Maybe I'll get some people seeing how good I am, want to do more business with me. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe I just want God to see how good I am giving so much money to Him so that He'll give me more. Because after all, if you give to God, He has to give you more back, right? But she didn't have plenty. Okay. After this, she didn't have any. Most folks would have seen these coins in a Walmart parking lot and not even bothered to stoop down and pick them up. But for her, it was everything. I think Jesus says she gave more, not because of the amount she gave, but because of what it cost her to give. The rich, they're well off without. She had nothing left. It cost her everything to give, and she gave anyway. There's a valuable truth here. God greatly values gifts that cost us greatly. He doesn't just value the gifts that are big. He doesn't just value the gifts that we value, the gold-plated gifts, the gifts that come monogrammed, engraved with special words on them. He doesn't just value the gifts that are really old, treasures that have been handed down for generations, the antiques. He doesn't just value gifts that have such historical significance that they're worth great sums of money just because of who had them. It's not like a letter from George Washington that because it has a signature is worth thousands of dollars. You see, God values the gifts that cost us. And it's those gifts that cost us the most that God values the most. Now, why might that be? Why might God value a gift that is so costly to us, even if it's not worth a whole lot? Okay. Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You think he needs any more? No. But you see, when, when we sacrifice, something different happens. When we sacrifice, we put our value not in the thing that we're giving, but in the one to whom we give it. That's why God greatly values the things that cost us greatly. Because what they say is, you, God, are worth the cost. Jesus said, count the cost before you follow me. Count the cost of discipleship. No man builds a tower without counting the cost because then he'll get halfway through it and not have enough money to complete it and everybody will laugh at him because he's a fool. That's, that's my paraphrase. You don't, you don't go to war without counting the cost. You don't go challenge somebody with a much bigger, much stronger army than what you've got. No, 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 no. When they're far off, you look for terms of peace. You see, it, if we're willing to count the cost and give it no matter what it costs, then that shows God that he is worth that price. In fact, it's not the only time in Scripture that people give something that costs them. I think of David. David's going to offer some sacrifices to God. He goes to uh, this guy in Second uh, Samuel chapter 24, Aranua, um, and he, he says, I, I need some stuff to sacrifice to God. And the guy says, oh yeah, here, take it. Yeah, you can have whatever you want, take it. 
I would, I would be honored for you to, to have whatever you need to sacrifice to God. And David's like, no, no. I need, I need a place to offer sacrifices. No, no, here, take it. It's yours. How much land do you need? No, 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 no. David says, I can't do that. No, I, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David recognizes the sacrifice that God is seeking is not merely a sacrifice of just what's convenient. He actually needs to put some skin in this game. God is worth him not only buying it, but buying it at full price. He's the, you, God doesn't want your coupon discounted sacrifice that doesn't really cost you much. What he wants is the sacrifice that costs you greatly because he's worth it. I, I think not only of, of that, I think of another instance. There's a woman named Mary. She's got this box, this alabaster box that's full of this pricely nard or oil. Depending on your, your version, it kind of reads a little differently. Whatever it is, it's really expensive. It smells really good. And she's pouring it out on his feet. And then, or before that, she, she's crying, washing his feet with her tears. She's drying it with her hair. And she's pouring out this expensive perfumed oil on his feet. Mitchell, sit up. Thank you, buddy. You see, she recognized that Jesus was worth the price. It didn't matter how much, how long it took to save up the money to buy that. It didn't matter how long that box had been in her family. It didn't matter what it cost her. She, she knew he was worth it. I think of in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read of Paul talking about the Macedonian churches. There's a need that has come up among fellow believers and the Macedonian churches have said, we want to give to help meet that need. Listen to what Paul says about them. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, I get the joy. But how does poverty lead to wealth? How does their extreme poverty lead them to give so greatly? Because the fellow saints are worth it. You see, it doesn't matter what it costs me. It doesn't matter. That's why. That's why he can say in verse 3, they gave according to their means. And then he corrects himself. He says, and beyond their means. You see, they recognize God was worth the sacrifice. Okay, maybe we got to figure out where our next meal is coming from, but we want to make sure they don't. You know, it reminds me of another sacrifice, another gift that was so costly. When we are willing to give something that costs us so much for God, we are merely mimicking His gift to us. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid a price that we could not afford to pay and could never afford to repay. A sacrifice that was costly. Maybe God values those costly gifts so much 
because of his gift that cost him so much. Maybe God values those gifts, those sacrifices, those two little coins that are all we have. Because God recognizes his spirit working within us to make us more like him, to be willing to give whatever it takes, to love him so greatly that no price is too expensive, no sacrifice too extravagant, and our gratitude for the greatest gift of all. God greatly values gifts that cost us greatly because he is the God who gives costly gifts himself. And so when this offering box is being filled with lots of bags full of coins, lots of money being given by these different people, these wealthy, these elite types, these scribes and Pharisees and rich owners and people who could well afford to give 50 times more and still have plenty to eat. And then this one little woman comes up with two small coins. That's why Jesus can say she's given more. If we're not willing to give everything, we have to ask, we have to ask why not. Now, I'm not going to say, now it's time for us to take up our offering. But I do wonder sometimes if we skirt God by saying, well, you know, I really need to make sure I have extra just in case. I wonder if we skirt God by saying, you know, God is certainly worth a lot, but you know, I'm really tired and, and I, I just, I need, I need to go rest. I wonder if we skirt God by saying, he's worth, he's worth a lot. I, I, I'll do, I'll do, you know, whatever I can do if it's not too unreasonable, if it's not too expensive. I pray that I'm not the one who may be giving great amounts of money, but yet not giving anywhere close to everything. I pray that I'm not the one who says, well, I can afford this. Or let me, let me figure out what 10% is and make sure that I'd give that exactly. I want to be the one, I want to be the one with those two final coins that says, you know what? Fine. Take it, God. It's yours. I want to be the one that says, you know, God, I, I may not feel like I can go much further, but you just, you just give me the strength to do what you need me to do. And, and when, when I run out of strength, that's where I'll stop. I want to be the one that loves God so much that I'm willing to go to whatever inconvenience it may take. I want to be the one that's ready to cast aside all the earthly treasures just to warm my heart at the fire of God's love. I want to be the one who is willing to deny myself every kind of sinful pleasure just to see him glorified, even even just a, a hair more, even just a smidge, just, just enough. Just to tick that needle, one more tick mark. I want to be the one who is so ready for God's presence that I beg him for mercy every moment that I'm not. I want to have that kind of sacrificial love. Because when I look at the scripture and I look at what God has done for me, I see that that's the love he loves me with. 
And I pray, I pray that you do too. Father, help us to be willing to give everything, not just not just what's easy or convenient or, or what's affordable. God, help us be willing to give whatever it takes to show your love. I see Abraham willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because he loved you more. I see Jesus putting on human flesh because your love for us is so great that you are willing to put aside your divine majesty and put on the clothes of a servant for us. Father, we don't have much. We got a couple coins. We don't have anything of righteousness to give you. We don't have anything to contribute to our salvation. But God, God, we do have these couple of coins. We do have this little bit. These little things that you've entrusted to us. These little things that aren't even ours in the first place. We have them. And Lord, we're willing to give them to you. Here, take them. They're yours. Father, help us live sacrificing ourselves for your glory, for your church, for your name, that others may see Jesus in us and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.